If I told you that the broker who broke the record for the highest residential sale in Aspen was under 35 years old, you'd probably be intrigued. Okay, now what if I said that the very same broker set the record in Miami? It would sound even more impressive. How about if I said that this young broker broke the record in New York City as well and sold a residence for $240 million making it the highest residential sale in United States history. I don't think you would believe me. So today, you're going to hear from this broker himself, Oren Alexander. Oren, along with his brother Tal, founded the Alexander Team, the internationally recognized luxury real estate sales team. The Alexander Team has a proven track record of representing prominent clients such as Ken Griffin, Steve Madden, and Jared and Ivanka Trump. With an eye for design, an aptitude for networking, and an unparalleled work ethic, Oren tells us what it takes to lead an industry at just 34 years old. The entrepreneurial spirit is the cornerstone of the American dream, a beacon to all willing to weave their story into the fabric of our history. I'm Elliot Dweck, and this is From the Founder. This episode has been sponsored by FX Collaborative. How has your dad being in the real estate business helped you, inspired you over, you know, over the course of your career? So, you know, definitely early on it gave me the experience. My father being in the industry, I learned the business through him. Um, was he actively teaching it to you or were you just around him and you learned through osmosis? So my family's approach to parenting, you know, some parents don't talk business at the table. My parents, you know, Shabbat dinners were, you know, board meetings because you had my uncle who was involved in the business and so forth. So being around and just being there, I, I learned a lot. And my mom, you know, even on the real estate side, my mom is the, you know, the CFO of my father's real estate development company. And so now I see where this lifestyle of live and work being the same comes into play. Yeah. Because you sure. grew up in a house where it was business and it was family and it was real life and it was fun all in one. And that's what you adopted for your yeah. life, your and lifestyle. It's felt natural, you know, that just feels like. I just can't tell you how many times, and it still happens to this day, that my mom will yell at my dad and say, please, no business at the table. And my dad says, so what are we going to talk about? You know, like, what else can we talk about? You know, like, there's nothing else to talk about. It's, it's, yeah. and, and my mom always gets upset about that. But it's, you know, it's great because it keeps us all together. Very important room for me. Obviously, it's uh, a dining room, and we've had some amazing uh, dinners here, Shabbat dinners. and. Shabbat dinners have been sort of a big part of our hosting and our events. I definitely wanted to be a developer. Okay. And I did everything to put myself into that, into those shoes by um, taking the necessary courses in college, internships, and so forth. But when it came time to graduate, it was summer of 08 um, is when I graduated university. And obviously, D-Day happened September of 08, and I had big dreams of moving to New York and working for a developer. But those ideas came to a halt, and, and I think 
what I realized when you're not getting any paying job for any real estate developer in, right. in, uh, in fall 2008. Um, so the only opportunity was to, to become a broker or an agent because obviously it's 100% commission and it's not hard to get a job. So I went to New York and through some introductions I got to Howard Lorber who was the chairman of Douglas Elliman and I was so clueless on the business of, of brokerage. I remember walking into his office and asking him, okay, what's my salary? <laughs> and he like laughed and chuckled at me and um, I realized quickly that, you know, it's a you don't kill, you don't eat type of business. Right. And I think looking back at it, it was a blessing to begin my career at that time because it was truly the bottom of the market. And most people, and I think this is true to many different industries, you get very comfortable and good at what you do, that when you get hit with a moment like that, a 2008 crash, you don't know how to recover. You don't know how to reinvent yourself. And when that is the only hand you're dealt, you, you play the cards. So not knowing the two years prior, people were waiting in line at midnight to buy real estate. I wasn't a part of those days. Right. So I just, all I knew was that market and I had to figure it out. And I, I did quickly. I mean, I started originally, like I'm sure most people do in New York, putting up ads on Craigslist and, and you know trying to um, find clients ultimately. Right. And I did that, and I quickly you know managed to get some big rentals under my belt. And my big break came uh, that summer of 2009, when the market was still uh, pretty soft, and I managed to convince a friend of mine's father to work with me. And I did that by not selling him on me because um, at the time I was 21 years old and I was, you know, he knew New York City better than I did. Right. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, which way even streets go and, right. what, and odd streets go. So, um, but I managed to realize that who I had in my, in my team, in my, in my wheelhouse, and I knew that my strength is being able to bring people together. And I managed to arrange a meeting um, between that person and um, the chairman of the company. And he now knew that he had the confidence in me because the chairman was, was looking out for me. Right. And you know, most people don't realize that. And I see that a lot amongst young agents that are so hooked on how much percentage they're going to get and trying to be the hero and do it all themselves when you know you're better off getting a small piece of a deal and bringing people together yeah. and, and starting your career so um, that was a almost a nine million dollar sale at the time and it was a big deal because there wasn't much selling so all of a sudden it was like a, who's this 21 year old that just sold a nine million dollar apartment I'm sure the press was all over it. I, I know there was a New York Post article. Yeah, so I, I, I realized that early on in my career is how valuable um, the press could be. Because, sure, you could go ahead and do deals and eventually people will hear about your deals. You know, Or you can go to the press and make sure they, they hear about them. Right. And what I realized about the press, um, they're all you know, kids, young as I was, fresh out of journalism school that were needed the content to, to pay their bills. And I had the ability of giving them content even if it didn't relate to me. Because I was on the front lines and I saw the trends in the market, I was able to you know, give them stories 
and, and in return, when I finally had a deal to talk about, you know, they would maybe give me some extra press on it. And I did that early on and I built a name for myself, you know, using the New York real estate media. How, how did you think to do this? You're 21 years old and you were just calling media outlets? Well, I was, I was you know, I think what also people um, don't realize how important it is, is when you're new in the business. I did my homework, meaning I was on Real Deal and there was another blog, Curved, and there was another one at the time, and I was going through the archives because I just showed up to New York. So I could learn about what's happening on a day-to-day -day checking it, or I can go back a couple years and learn you know, what happened in the last right. two years, all the trades, all the buildings, what each building sells for, because you never know when you're gonna get that opportunity. And then when you meet a potential client and you speak to him about New York real estate, he's gonna judge you based on what comes out of your mouth. Does this guy know what he's talking about or he doesn't know what he's talking about? Right. And um, for me, that was very important to, to know what I'm talking about. So I knew, I read the stories, I knew who the reporters were that wrote the stories and then, you know, I would reach out to them and say, hey, let's go out for a drink. You know, I'm trying to make a name for myself in real estate and you're writing about real estate. So um, I had a great relationship with a lot of different reporters from Forbes and Post and Observer and The Real Deal and so forth. Now I've, I'm like the opposite, now I'm shying away. You know, and I try not to speak to the press too much because um, something I've realized and, and something that's very important to me today is like there's no um, better thing I can do than to do a transaction like I did today and make sure the press doesn't know who my client was. Right. And I'm very proud of that. I, I can tell you that the, my current record in this town, no one knows who the buyer was. Um, so. That to me is everything because that's my reputation, is being able to do high profile transactions right. that are you know, off the radar. So now you're 21 years old, you do your first deal. It's a big deal because the market was desolate and now they're like, what just sold? Hold on, who's this broker? He's 21, how did you do this deal? Yeah. You get some press. And you're mostly focused on rentals at this point, right? Correct. You're, you've yet to get a listing. Correct. Right, at this point? Correct. I'm just trying to gauge yeah, like yeah. where we are I, was the, I represented the buyer there. Right. How do you then leverage that? So, I used obviously, the, as I mentioned, the press and I did a big event to announce the sale and so forth. You know, fast forward, my brother was focused on rentals downtown. And then he got a lead um, of a client that said, you know, they were looking to rent because they were considering selling. And they had a, a co-op at the El Dorado um, on Central Park West, uh, you know, a classic seven that they were looking to sell. And Tal said, well, you should come, you know, meet with myself and my brother and we'll pitch you uh, your listing. And somehow we managed to get that listing, which you know, these, these co-ops, these pre-war co-ops are very prestigious and they yeah. usually only have a handful of agents that actually sell or get listings in, yeah. these, in these buildings. And we managed to get the listing and that was like our first deal together, Tom and I. How did you convince this couple to hire you? I think it was, one, they felt a connection to my brother and I, like almost like we were their children, that we had a lot of similarities to their children. And they, um, you know, thought, we would be the best man for the job and, and ultimately we were as, as we managed to 
at the time achieve a record price for that building. So um, again, that was our first transaction together and managed. we realized that we were stronger together and at that point we created the Alexander team. So right after that deal, you guys looked at each other and said, I think we got to be on the same team. You know, that's something that was instilled um, in us through our whole childhood of how much stronger we are together and, and something that I share with not just Tall, but with all my brothers, you know, having the ability to work with my brother, to have a partner who's your brother. You know, just think about that for a second. The biggest issue you have in partnership is trust and knowing that you don't have to worry. You don't have to think is someone cheating me or someone you know, not having his best interest for me or our company. So being able to, to work with my brother has been a, a blessing. So I read a great quote about you guys. I think it was the LA Times. They said, the Alexander brothers always know which event to be at at the Oscars, which room to be in in Art Basel, and which camp to be at in Burning Man. Like you guys have this knack for knowing where to be and when. Yeah, we spent a lot of our time um, going to and being a part of different networking groups. It wasn't just enough to go to these events. You know, you had to know who was going to be at these events, what they look like, where they are in the room, and it was like, you know, call it like what, like wedding crashers, you know? We knew who to go after. And I mean, I'd be like, Tall, there's that developer by the bar, go, you know? <laughs> he would go get a drink and say, hey, this, you know, and, and that's kind of, it was like a guerrilla networking, you know, motivated that we were living together. So there was no days off. It right. wasn't like, oh, I'm going to take it easy tonight and stay home. It was like, no, like, we have a goal right. and a purpose, and, and we're going to do everything we can to, to get there. So it was like, okay, we're going to go to this event. This is who's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, and we, you know, and we knew who we were looking for and what projects they had and you know, developments that we wanted to be on and so forth. So that was always um, you know, the goal. We wanted to not just represent buyers and sellers. We want to represent developers. And that was a very hard thing to do, to crack sort of your first new development. Uh, and that's something that really the opportunity came here, which right behind us is a, a project called the Faina, which I guess um, right place, right time, managed to meet uh, the developer, the equity partner uh, brother at a football game. And he liked what I had to say and he gave me an opportunity to meet you know, another partner and you know, just continued that process till I got to, to Alan Faina. And at the time, this market, Miami, was dominated by Latin American buyers or Russian buyers. Right. And that was the pitch. Everyone would come there to the developer, say, hey, we have Russian buyers, we have Brazilian buyers, and, and so forth. And I was the only one who was saying, hey, I'm from New York. I have New York buyers. And New York buyers have a sort of a bigger appetite. You know, New York, for them at the time, we were selling you know, apartments at $2,500 to $3,000 a foot, which in Latin America, you can't find an apartment for more than 1000 a foot. Uh, he liked what I had to say and he believed in us and, and ultimately I managed to get that new development. We managed to sell 
you know, 100% of the real estate of the apartments with them in a matter of a year at an average price of 3,000 a foot, which was like 100% premium on the market. So obviously that, again, was a big success and helped, you know, get me my foothold here in Miami. This is a book um, that Alan Faina signed for me. Nice. That was pretty cool. For my friend Oren, who helped me build some of the pages and to push my dream forward with love and respect. It kind of tells the story, but. One of the things I like to look out at here is I see Faina House. As right, you I, get I, to look at it every day. I joke, <laughs> but I was like, that building paid for this house. Right, you know, it did. Literally. It definitely like, did. I bought that property as I was selling out that. So, right. Um, it's the truth. And it was also a project that you're not just selling. Remember, when I work on new development and I get in at that stage, I'm working on the pre-development. I was in Foster's office in, in, in New York helping design the floor plans, helping you know, the launch strategy and um, the marketing of the building, which all kind of comes into you know, play when you launch a building. And that really helped transition me down to Miami. Because at that time, Tall and I were really focused on just the New York market. So prior to the Faina house, we had success in selling a spec house. Uh, which our father developed. And that house sold for $47 million, and that was the record in Miami. And it was also a very down market in Miami, so it made a lot of noise and a lot of headlines. And that also created an opportunity, and it also helped get the Faina House deal, because people in Miami said, oh, I heard about that deal. And now that I had, and I was selling the Faina House, now I got introduced to the brokerage community in Miami. I knew all the New York brokers, I was doing deals with them. Right. But now I had the opportunity to meet the Miami brokers because all the top brokers were coming into my sales office. And that gave me an opportunity to launch the resale business um, here in Miami, which you know, last year we managed to sell more uh, real estate according to the MLS than, than any other yeah. uh, real estate agent here in, this, in Miami. So that's kind of how that started. And you know, ever since then I've just been focused on Miami, but I managed to go to New York at least once a week, you know, to check in. And a lot of the buyers that we have from Miami are, are in New York, right. so it complements the business well. So at that point, after the Faina house, did you say, okay, I'll take Miami, Tal, you take New York, yeah. and we'll work it that way? Yeah, naturally that happened, because Faina house uh, required me to really put in my hours here on the project, right. especially during the launch. Um, and that was a very valuable experience for me and managed to open up our new development business. So since then, we managed to get um, you know, a couple projects in New York, um, some more projects here in Miami, and we really enjoy that aspect of the business as it allows us to be creative and work right. with such incredible architects and designers. The, the Rolodex has grown in that realm and something that helped our resale business because so much of um, selling these high-end homes is the relationships with the designers and the architects. And so you get referrals from them. Correct. And knowing them puts you in a different sort of world or realm in, right. amongst the clients. Um, so was this a conscious decision to go, you know, 
create relationships with architects, with designers. Yeah, so we realized early on who can refer us business, like what is the network that we need to be a part of, and, and it was clear that art and design was very important to a lot of our clients. Those relationships with those designers and architects um, has played a very vital role in, in our business as usually a client, the first call they make when they're looking to buy something is their designer. Right. And, um, you know, we've had the pleasure to meet a lot of them and we help them, they help us. I'm sure you, know, you throw we, a lot of business their way too. Correct, correct. Um, so you guys realize we need a very strong referral network because if we're going to be in this you know, call it top 5%, this is what we're gonna focus on. It's gotta come from somewhere, Correct. right? And you wanna be the best in, in, that, in that field. Yeah, you know, as opposed to other sales business, it's not really so much sort of reoccurring revenue, right? Like, you don't just get a couple accounts and you continue right, to sell right. them every year. Um, unfortunately, we start from zero every year. And there's only so much real estate, even though we found many right property collectors, but there's only so much real estate you could sell one person. Um, so you constantly are looking for new clients and quickly we realize that those referrals will come from, you know, whether it's the art world, um, wealth managers, you know, the, I mean, we're close and friends with some of the best private yacht brokers and, you know, private aviation brokers. and. We, you know, these are our friends and it's their relationships. We send them business, they send us business. So you guys do a lot of deals in New York, Miami, Aspen, Hamptons. What goes into the decision to say, okay, we're gonna now do deals here as opposed to, it's just gonna be another city where we refer deals to another agent? So. I guess it starts with, um, there's a lifestyle that we like to live. So I really enjoy Aspen and I enjoy the mountains, both summer and winter. So I definitely made sure that I can have a business there. Hamptons was also a place that I spent a lot of time in the summers. So naturally, you know, being in the city, uh, we progressed and we opened up the Hampton market. Miami, you know, have a strong connection because I'm from there. So to me, that's like the ultimate lifestyle and I definitely see LA on the horizon as well. I have another boat that I keep in the water um, that my brother has now but this is this is like my Bahama. This is when I rip it to the Bahamas is what I take and I go spearfishing on. How long does it take? On a flat day I can get there on this thing in an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's sick. I'll average like 60 miles an hour. Just rip it. It's great. Yeah. The summertime is kind of the Bahama season. So um, it's what I'm doing most this month is, is trips to the Bahamas. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I'll take you some time. Yeah. And then eventually we're going to have the island and we'll be able to yeah, uh, pop I want to live on this island. This island. <laughs> well, gonna, we'll be over there for, you know, for brunch. My question is, like, you're skiing in Chile and you're spearfishing in the Bahamas and you're at Art Basel. How do you have time to, to sell billions of dollars of real estate? Well, to begin with, that's why we focus on the larger uh, transactions. As I don't want to do, you know, 150 deals a year. Right. I'll be happy doing 50 large deals. Um, 
as they take the same amount of time, so to speak. And my, you know, travel in some ways um, coincides with my my deals. I know when I have clients in town and when I need to be where I need to be. We've grown a very sort of light and nimble team um, of only about seven of us between New York and Miami. It's unbelievable. And we, we managed to, we're always, all of us, always on. And we have great, you know, team sort of communication and everyone understands their role and that's been a key to doing this amount of deals. How do you take, you know, you have seven people, there are teams of, like I know teams of 40, 50 people that don't do half of the sales volume that you guys do. Yeah, those are the ones we're usually competing with, um, you know, at the top. And it's a different business, a different game. And quite frankly, it's not something, a game we want to play. Like for us, it's very important. Um, and for our clients, it's very important that they get us. You know, they're not coming with the Alexander team because, you know, the, of the brand. They're coming with the Alexander team because they know and trust us and our advice and right. our, you know, to advise them. Could we talk about the deal that set a record in the country? Yeah. So I think you're alluding to 220 Central Park yes. South, which is the most expensive residential sale in, in U.S. history. Um, that's an incredible story. And that came from, you know, we were inspired from The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, I'm very it excited was, for this. So that was right when the movie came out. Okay. And we saw, uh, remember he was dialing for dollars, yeah. working for that chop shop, the boiler rooms mm -hmm. aspect yeah, yeah. of, of, of um, the movie. And we met someone who was, in, and many different people offer this service where they're like, I can get you anyone's number. Okay. So now we got to decide whose number do we want. Right. So we, we looked for a correlation in our business of, of high-end buyers. And I remember I came across an article in Forbes that said, top um, contemporary art collectors in the finance world, right? Hedge funders that collect art. Okay. So perfect. A lot of our clients are that. So I'll take that list. I'll give it to them. And he came back and gave us, you know, a list of numbers. Now you have to have something to pitch. And at the time, so it's almost a perfect storm. And at the time, we were pitching to actually handle the sales for 220 Central Park South. And that didn't pan out. But we managed to now know the product. And we had a head start right. on the market, considering we got an inside look before they came to market. Which was, at the time, the biggest deal, the Vornado, yeah. new building on the park. Correct. Everyone knew that was the new 15th Central Park right. West. So we did just that. We used that list to call up potential buyers. So I got to give credit to my brother, Tall. That was his assignment. He, he was dialing for dollars. Okay. And um, you know, one of the first people he called um, was intrigued and, you know, was a little surprised, caught off guard at least, and said, you know, speak to my assistant. And the assistant said, we'll be in touch when we're in town. So Tal just said, 
I have, there's this property. Yeah, it's going to be the number one building in New York. You should come look at it when you're in town, come see it. And, and um, he did just that. You know, I think two months later, got a, a random phone call from an assistant, said, you know, our, he's in town and he wants to see the building. And now that was also a challenge because that building had an iron gate. They weren't allowing anyone in there. It was all friends of Stephen Roth. Right. So trying to get a buyer in at that time was very difficult. It was just when I think the first week they launched. And, you know, Tall did what he had to do to get the buyer in there. And there was a lot of other things that had to happen in order to create that because the truth is the developer didn't even imagine having an apartment at that price. He was thinking he was, you know, the developer thought he was pushing the envelope by creating a $150 million penthouse. Because the, the record before that was like $100 million, right? Correct. Yeah. So I this was more than double. So he, the developer created a $150 million penthouse. And we basically, you know, explained to him how there was two penthouses in that building. And we showed the buyer the different perspective of the view from the different heights, even though the building wasn't even, you know, off the ground at the time. But we managed to get him into, you know, another building and to see the different perspectives and the view and see how there's a higher percentage park on the lower floor penthouse. And that lower floor penthouse then grew from a duplex to four floors and ultimately became the record in the country. You, c you combine the units. Correct. We combined that $150 million uh, residence with two additional wow. floors to create that. Yeah. Um, so obviously that was sort of the shot heard around the world for the real estate world at least. I'll never forget, like, you know how like you never forget where you yeah. are at certain points? I'll, I'll never forget, I was sitting at my desk and I looked at Traded and I see the faces and I looked at the number and I was like, it can't be. Like, yeah. it's got to be a mistake, it's got to be a type, nothing sells for 238 million. Yeah, well, um, I think all in all it was even more than that when you add up the, the, uh, the rest of the staff apartments and so right, forth. Right. And yeah, I mean, it'll be a while till we break that record. Um, but that was, you know, definitely a sort of a milestone in our career and um, a great talking point. Yeah. Because obviously having a sale like that under your belt helps and, you know, makes your pitch even stronger. Now, obviously, your pitch evolved over the years from the beginning of your career till now. I'm sure now you just can walk into a room and speak to what you've done, you know. My question is, when did the shift happen from when you were chasing clients to when they started coming your way? Well, you still chase clients, you know. I gotta say, there's still every deal we fight for. Um, uh, it's very rare that we just get, you know, layups where right. we're just like, we're hiring you. And I try not to talk about the sales because that's kind of expected. And that's probably something that they have already, everyone's they already do know. that that's competing with you, right? Yeah, they already know about those accolades. So right. for us, it's more about creating a relationship, you know, walking into a room and identifying a piece of art or piano or, you know, a book and, and trying to create a connection other than just here to sell you real estate or, or sell you real estate. I mean, I definitely go on less pitches than I used to, um, but 
we still have to fight for our business. And then 432, which was definitely a, a sort of changing moment in our career when we had the opportunity to, to move into the building and saw that as like a huge opportunity to come uptown, yeah. focus on uptown. We were downtown before that. Right. And all of a sudden it put us in I was How old were you when you moved into 432? I think about five years ago. So that really like put us in a different league. Living in that building, we obviously have done a lot of deals since then from being in the building. Yeah, where'd you hang out? Like the spa? The... Oh, everywhere. My, <laughs> my brother is like the unofficial mayor, tall, <laughs> of 432. So there's a, a lot of people, especially brokers out there, who try to build this robust network, you know, and they want to, they believe it's a relationship business, they're building relationships. What's the thing that you guys, what's the secret sauce? Or what's the thing that you look at in your career and you say, this is what made us who we are? I would say it's living the business, meaning like most agents turn it off. You know, I remember like being in my office in the city and like seeing agents that are commuting from Long Island. Like, how are you selling real estate in the city? You don't even live here. For us, like everything we sell, we live. You know, the real estate that you know we're sitting in now is a place that I built and I designed. And I build homes, and I, and I live in these homes, and you know, people feel that we're not just like a salesman. Right. We truly, you know, these places we go to, we're not there because, you know, our client invited us or something. We're there on our own. It's embedded in our DNA. This is who we are. We're not just trying to turn it on and off and play and put on a suit and, you know, play real estate agent. For right. The day. Right. Like this is. It's not a TV we, show. Yeah. We, we eat and sleep and, and, and breathe this. Like this yeah. is our lifestyle. The clients are our friends. You know these homes we build them. You know so that's a big part of this as well. Is um, a lot of the product we sell is new product. And I think for sellers, it's important. Developers, it's important to be able to articulate. You know the house from the design to the quality of the finish. And I don't think a lot of real estate agents truly understand that. They might know how to name a couple stones, but like they don't understand because they've never really built a house of this caliber. And you have, and you have the eye for design, and that's like, you don't just, you're not just a broker. Correct. Like, building a home and designing it, and like, this is gorgeous, you Thank know? You. Thank you. Like, it's not just like, oh, I could connect you with someone. Like, you can actually give them input and advice. Correct, and, 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 and I do a lot of that, you know? So I help clients from, get them, the lot to introduce them to the architect to you know get them the right expediter get them the right builder you know possibly even build it for them and so I, I really help them A to Z so we add a lot of value and I think that's really the key yeah because at the end of the day like I'm not a discount broker you know I don't discount my commission but I give a lot more than just a you know someone to facilitate a transaction I designed this table I found you know I picked a stone found a, a welder to create the base. You have this Belgian white oak uh, wood paneling on one side, and then you have the uh, silver travertine, which makes the fireplace, the bar, the kitchen island, and the backsplash. Now, today you're a master networker. Were you always as outgoing as you are now? Yeah, I would say I was always very outgoing. My brother and I, you know, were sort of responsible for the social life 
for a lot of our friends and, <laughs> and school. I remember we, we were throwing the high school prom parties when we were like sophomores. We were throwing it for the seniors, you know? Right. <laughs> so um, it was something that was definitely a part of my DNA. What did your friends think that you were going to be when you were in high school? I think everyone knew based on the fact that I was even in high school, we were always doing business. We were doing deals and we were making money as kids and making a lot of money. What kind of deals? Um, unfortunately, things that I wouldn't do today. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, we were, we were bookies as kids. Um, and, you know, just that, I think, sure, it was probably nothing you wish for your kid to do, um, but that hustle, you know, that hustler mentality um, definitely helped, you know, and helped me throughout my lifetime. You know, thankfully I was raised in a, in a beautiful home and my parents had, you know, the means. But we were raised differently than our peers um, as we were never given sort of money, right? Um, and being around that fluent lifestyle, you needed money. So we were introduced to this lifestyle, but we weren't given the means to live the lifestyle. So we had to do whatever we could do or knew how to do at that point to, to keep up with our friends, so to speak. Right. They were just getting it from their parents. You're like an all-star residential real estate, like from sales to marketing to networking. Is there anything that you're not good at, like where you're just like, I suck at this aspect? Well, I would probably say um, I'm not the best at management. You know, that's probably a weak point. Um, and that's probably also why we've kept the group very tight and haven't really expanded to create, you know, these large companies, their teams that, that a lot of these other agents have. Is there something that you and Tal complement each other on that you were, you know, you were great at that he is not and like vice versa? Yeah, so Tal and I, um, we complement each other great. What's our different styles? I would say he's definitely the more aggressive sale um, and clients appreciate that. If he knows this is the right property for you, he'll make sure you know that. Right. Um, and, you know, my style is, is probably a little less aggressive. Um, Would you, know, you say you are more patient? I definitely am more patient than tall. There's no doubt about that. And that's been, you know, through our, our lifetime. Um, that's how tall has been. But um, tall's ability to to you know, identify and understand and get to a client and, and sell him and execute you know, and negotiate is, is probably, you know, if not the, probably the best in the industry. I think the hard part was in the beginning to, to join forces. Um, at that time, I probably felt that I was bringing more to the equation than he was. Um, but we made a pack, and something that I, I say my parents really pushed in us to do, and that was if your partners, your partners. You know, doesn't matter who's doing more deals. You know, who's doing what. 
your 50-50 partners on everything. And that makes it a lot easier, you know, because if you're going to start counting chips and who's doing what, you'll, it, be you'll be fighting forever. So for us, it's very important that everything we do, every investment we make, So when you were a kid, you had this hustler mentality, you had this hunger, you wanted it, and you kept elevating, kept elevating, and you are, I mean, I'm going to say you're at, the, you're at the top of not only your game, but the game, even though obviously you want to keep getting better and better. How do you maintain, just for yourself, this hustler mentality of I got to be better, I got to be better, I got to keep going, I gotta keep, when, you know, clearly if you took your foot off the gas for a second, you'd probably be okay, you know? Like, so how, like, what is the drive that makes you say, I gotta be even stronger than I was last year? So, my appetite continues to grow, and I am invested, you know, my, in, in many different projects. And so I'm very hungry still, because I actually have a need for the money that I make. I invest and I'm in different deals, I'm doing a lot of tech and venture investing, and, um, my appetite for toys have grown tremendously, um, and that's some of my motivation, right? I have two boats outside. I wanted to get a third boat now. I have, you know, four cars in, outside. There's still cars that I want, so I'm staying. I keep. I'm very hungry, and I'm very motivated. And the deals definitely get bigger. And if you ask me, like, what's next? I, I enjoy the development. Um, aspect of my business. You know, I'm building now two more homes that I'm doing just with Tall and I, we're the developers, sole developers, sole partners on. Then I have another three homes that I'm developing with partners. And then probably my most exciting project that I'm really passionate about is I'm developing an island that's 50 miles from here. Wow. Um, and that's something that, again, coincides with the lifestyle, with my network, and um, a place that I'm going to be able to hopefully enjoy. And, be a, you know, a legacy project for the rest of my life so um, yeah it's been a good ride it's yeah been, uh, it's, it's hard to to imagine and, but um, and there's still so much to accomplish and so much more to do you know you know I could even say that might be an, an, a problem that's never enough so to speak but like I sit in this house and I built and designed this house you know I've designed it five years ago I think my taste and, and my eye for design has gotten better. That I can't wait to build two more houses and improve and 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 and, um, and make a 2.0 version of this, so to speak. So I think that natural progression and is really the fuel to my fire. Right. So you you were mentioning kind of like, is it a, maybe a problem that you have to keep building to the next level? I mean, you hear amongst people, you know, that um, feel that they're sort of always in a race. You know, I have a lot of friends in, from all different aspects of life, and I have friends that have packed it up at 40, you know, years old and moved to Ibiza, and, and they're always preaching me about, like, you know, the race that it doesn't make a difference. Right. Um, but my thoughts are that where I am today, you know, and the happiness that I feel, true happiness that I feel inside because I have great friends, I have, you know, a great family, I have, you know, I'm in touch with my, um, with my Judaism, 
I, I feel content, I enjoy myself. Like I, I wake up in the morning happy, I'm excited today. You know, happy, I was so excited for Monday morning because I knew what I had on my plate and I just wanted to, to do the best at it. Yeah. And I look forward so much to this weekend and this trip that I have planned this weekend. And that's like, that's what fuels me. Like as long as I'm constantly having that balance between, you know, fun of, and, and my work and, and I don't ever like, sit on the couch and tell myself, you know, I don't want to go to this meeting or I don't want to go to this. I don't have that. I had that in school, you know. I definitely did, but um, not in my in my business. Like I'm, I'm excited about every meeting I take, and I, you know, if that feels good for me, then I'll continue on this race. The difference between me and any other agent is that I go to sleep thinking about how to sell your property. Like that's when I'm sitting in bed, I'm going through my Rolodex of properties. I wake up, I have a weekly, I have a daily call with my whole team, and we go one by one each property, each year we're on, what's going on, how are we selling this one, what do we need to do, have we done this, have we called this person, have we ran, you know, and that's just, and like with every business, the more on top of it you are, the more successful you'll be. You have an incredible network of a lot of successful people. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Don't be a hero. Don't be scared to ask for help, ask for advice you know, and, and team up with someone. And, you know, I think that to me is, if I had to define something that truly helped me in my career, that's probably it. We've created a great team collectively, and I don't see us stopping that anytime soon. Right. So um, it's something that I, that I look forward to and something, you know, that I would love to have also with my you know, future kids yeah, to be able amazing. to work with them. Oren, I'm blown away. You got to the top of your industry at 33 years old. Nobody does that. And you started just by hustling. You had this hustler mentality. You start, you know, 21 years old, jumping in in 2008 into New York City real estate and betting on yourself because, you know, you were always commission-based and you just kept hustling and hustling and hustling and uh, I mean what you've accomplished in your career is incredible and uh, I just want to thank you so much for being here. Well thank you, thank you for allowing me to share my story and hopefully it inspires others and because um, that's my you know, best way to give back of all the success I've had is to inspire others and help others.